uh, lovely supportive people. Welcome to uh, the Nearly Show, which I'm trying to do slightly differently. I want to stop rabbiting on about my health too much and talk about some other things like how to fix our world. I'm reading this book by Ed Miliband, which is kind of inspiring. Um, go big. Uh, it comes from a podcast called Reasons to be Cheerful, which actually my daughter, Dora, has already appeared on. I'm very proud of that. Very proud of both of my kids, Joe, as well, involved in sort of futurology and helping, in his case, business, and in uh, Dora's case, good causes to uh, plan ahead and come up with a radical manifesto to get us out of this dark place that we've been in. So the future, thinking about the future, which is an exciting concept, uh, whether or not one's in it. And the whole point of the future is that one isn't in it forever. So, uh, yeah, that's all good. And also thinking about people who've inspired me and maybe some of the ideas that matter to me. In the old days, everything was okay. In the now, how loud to get us the new? Redo the hokey, pokey, pokey, pokey. Stick your left hand in and out of the cliche stew. Let's take what goes and fizzes in this instant and diss it, disparage it, and piss on it. Take your comfort zone and plant a flag in it, saying this is the real thing, this is the greatest hit. This is the greatest hit. Bob strokes his shaven head, takes a sip of his gin martini. This is one of the most fantastic venues I've been to, he announces in his deep New York drawl, and I swell with pride at having brought him to Club Inigal at this basement bar in Houston for a night of free improvised music, led by Peter Weigold, who I'll say more about later. He could just as well have been disparaging, giving me a withering glance, suggesting he's seen far better at home in Williamsburg. Bob likes to do the amazing. We'll go to great lengths to experience the extreme. Apparently on holiday with his family, he got to choose where they went for lunch each day, but with a strict time limit on how long he had to find the smartest or funkiest or greasiest or cheapest or weirdest eatery within reach. Otherwise they'd have starved. When I first met him, Bob wore huge baggy trousers like a designer Zen monk. Told me of his work as a key player in digital publishing since the 1980s. Described himself as a Maoist, delighted in radical political pessimism and technological wizardry. In 2006, he asked me to join the Institute for the Future of the Book, the think and do tank he ran from his kitchen, funded by the prestigious MacArthur Foundation. We walked from cafe to cafe around Williamsburg in Brooklyn, waving our laptops like water diviners in search of a spring. Wherever the Wi-Fi signal looked good, we'd grab coffees and a table, then tapped away at emails promoting the Institute's amazing message. For the past 500 years, humans have used print, the book and its various page-based cousins, to move ideas across time and space. Radio, cinema and television emerged in the last century, and now we are combining media to forge new forms of expression. For now, we use the word book broadly, even metaphorically, to talk about what has come before and what might come next. When Bob came over to London, I arranged for us to meet a string of contacts in publishing to talk about e-books, multimedia, transmedia and social reading. 
Bob took great delight in being unimpressed by the big guns, enthused wildly about the smart misfits and new faces. But winningly, he was most excited of all to meet my family and tell us about his own. At the ICA, I proudly introduced him to a man who was a hugely important figure in publishing at the time. Bob runs the Institute for the Future of the Book. We're setting up an equivalent in the UK. You mean digital books? <laughs> oh, there's been talk of those for decades. I can assure you they're never going to take off here. Bob looked up from his Mac, closed the lid slowly, rubbed his shaved head, blinked and spoke. Here's the thing, Bob said. You know how water looks perfectly calm when you heat it up, like nothing's changing at all? And then suddenly, boiling point. The Kindle appeared later that year. I can't remember the name of the publishing guy. This is The Nude Man and Betty Spittle, uh, about 1984-ish, and this is a picture of Betty herself and my book. So here we go. Fortunately, in the mid-1980s, I was lucky enough to be part of the team who wrote and performed a topical cabaret called The Friday Show at the Lead Mill in Sheffield. Local writers and performers agreed a theme, then rehearsed all week. I created a character called Betty Spittle, a radical pensioner and chair of SPLAF, the Sheffield Pensioners Liberation Army faction, performed by Jane Jarman, who became a regular feature of the show. Unfortunately, we were unpaid. Some of the, much of the material was fantastic, but some of it was variable. One earnest writer created sketches which had all the right elements of comedy, but just failed to be funny. I spent ages trying to help analyse what wasn't working, but to no avail. Fortunately, that sparked off in me an idea for a sketch with a nude man who would sit on stage agonising earnestly about the sexual politics of appearing nude on stage. Lots of the male actors encouraged me, saying they'd love to perform it. Unfortunately, once written, one by one, they each dropped out with different excuses. And by then, I really wanted to see it performed. Fortunately, I decided to do it myself. When the lights went up, I was sitting on a stool, legs crossed, arms gesticulating as I agonised about the patriarchy, the male gaze and the complex politics of role reversal. People laughed, mostly with me, not at me, and I felt in control up on stage. Unfortunately, I hadn't anticipated the embarrassment of going to the bar afterwards, fully clothed, but surrounded by people who'd just seen me start staring naked. Fortunately, people took far less pictures at events back then, but Hattie found a photographer friend who'd taken a snap and gave it to me for my birthday, and it's up there. Part two. Fortunately, I was asked by a local publisher, Yorkshire Art Circus, to write The Thoughts of Betty Spittle, and then Penguin Books commissioned an expanded version. My sub-editor said it made him fall off his chair laughing. Unfortunately, book sales were poor that year. My publicist was sacked just as the book appeared, and the book wasn't a big hit. Fortunately, years later, we pitched a sitcom about Betty to the BBC's Independent Commissioning Unit, who loved the script and commissioned another. The head of BBC One apparently saw Betty as the next Victor Meldrew. Unfortunately, by the time we submitted the script, that head had rolled, the commissioning unit had folded, and everything just fizzled. Fortunately, the printed word endures. 
Two years ago on holiday, I was emailed by a woman who'd seen Betty live in 1986, rediscovered a promotional postcard we'd made back then of Betty and Karl Marx under the banner, It's Really Good Being Elderly. Safe sex, free drugs and selective deafness were some of the benefits listed. She googled the book, long out of print, and bought it on abe.com, then tracked down my email to tell me how much it had made her laugh. So many nearly stories, so many ups and downs, around words which travelled from a stage in South Yorkshire, via book to postcard, to radio, to script, to bin, to computer screen, to an email pinging up on a mobile at a cafe in France, more than 30 years later. And by the way, I wrote The Twirlies, the sitcom with uh, Cindy Oswin. Fantastic writer, actor and friend. And again, more of her later. I sing the shanty of fish cutters, nappy changers, silent shoppers. Sing the shanty of shelf stackers, office cleaners, packet trackers. Fact checkers and homeschoolers, shop assistants, bankers, jewellers, train drivers and trainees, makers of pornography, deliver rooms and postman drivers, dedicated and the skivers, those who work in every weather and those who don't quite get it together. I sing the shanty of all workers, in suits, in skirts, in burkas, musicians, dancers, actors, farmers, fixers, other tractors, sing the rhythm of their labours, pumping power generators, clicks of keyboard, pings and apps, beats that make them swing and tap, drums of tin and a cardboard box, a motor hums, the factory rocks with thuds and big machinery, and the swoosh of washing up the tea. I sing the shanty of baristas, nurseries, teachers, babysitters, those who float on fortunes, fluid, vicars, imams, rabbis, druids, therapists and future roofers, beauticians, barbers, roofers, builders, bakers, cooks and drainers, pensioners and personal trainers, ones who work at night alone, the ones who work online on phone, the unemployed and the enslaved, the rather bold, the very brave, those who jab drugs in our arms, and none of these folks come 